in the not-too-distant future. Our DNA will determine everything about us. A minute drop of blood. Saliva. Or a single hair. Determines where you can work. Who you should marry. What you're capable of achieving. In a society where success is determined by science. Divided by the standards of perfection. One man's only chance... How do you expect to pull this off? I don't know exactly. ...is to hide his own identity. This is the last day that you're going to be you and I'm going to be me. ...by borrowing someone else's. Congratulations. What about the interview? That was it. Do you think you'd be doing what you're doing if it wasn't for who you are, what you are? I have a feeling you might be there under false pretenses, playing somebody else's hand. You've got my picture plastered up all over the place. You'll recognize me. They won't recognize me. They'll recognize me. I don't recognize you. They won't believe that one of their elite could have suckered them all this time. They are going to find me. But in a place where any cell from any part of your body can betray you, how do you hide? When we all shed 500 million cells a day. Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, welcome to Gattaca. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back, listeners. We're going out of October. It is early November. We're talking about a good movie. It was a long, spooky season. But I feel like sci-fi still kind of will bridge the gap between spookiness and uh, yes. our, our normal fare here at the show. Um, but yeah, we picked a good movie this week. Uh, listeners, my name is Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these, these are, are the, the movies, movies that, that made us gay. It is just us today. We do not have a guest. Yes. We are talking about... The movie Gattaca, written and directed by Andrew Nichol, released October 24th, 1997. The dystopian science fiction drama thriller Gattaca. Dystopian science fiction drama thriller. I took that <laughs> off of Wiki. I love it. I there's, always love how Wiki describes movies. There's a, there's a lot going on there, but there's a lot going on in this movie. Um, my mind is blown that this shit is from 1997, first yeah. of all. Uh, I think for the most part, old as hell. It's old as hell, but I think it's it's aged really well. Well, I mean that's by design. Mm. Um, It's part of the you know dystopian futuristic uh, retro futurism Mm -hmm. fantasy that they're that they're building in this movie. So it's very much designed to kind of not really age yeah. very well. I mean, even the tech... Oh, we'll get all into this stuff. But even the technology that they We'll get into the visual look of the movie. In the movie And the technology. Not... You know, it's like, mm-hmm. of course it... Of course it's not, you know... It's dated, but not in a way that's like, oh, that's so 97, because they weren't even looking to... Yeah, it doesn't quite come off as like future. Logan's run. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it does a lot. But yeah. Kind I, of the 90s Logan's run. Um, yeah, a little bit. But, you know, I think that was one of the hallmarks of this movie. That was one of the things that me at 19, when I saw this, I was just like, you guys, this movie's so cool. Like, you don't even know. So I've been wanting like, to... This sci-fi, yeah. like, just telling all my friends, like, this sci-fi movie, like, it really makes you think, you guys. It's not like a regular sci-fi. It's a cool science the cool, movie. It's the cool sci-fi movie. Um, yeah, I very much felt that when I watched it. I've been wanting to do this movie for a long time in the show. It's always been on the alternates of, we should do a Gattaca episode when it's just me and Pete. I feel like we've come close to kind of putting this in the schedule but I kind of saw a little window in early November, and I want to talk about Gattaca, and especially sure. how kind of homoerotic this movie is that I feel like it's not really given its flowers as being this mega queer movie from the 90s, but right. it's clearly there when you revisit this movie, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, okay. I feel like in 97, I was not really even picking up on that. Um, my 19-year-old self was very much coming into my own as a as a uh, a gay adult man, but I feel like I still just was just like, no, you guys, this is this is a sci-fi movie that makes you makes you use your noodle. Um, Do you ever think about if you were asked what your favorite movie was when you were in the eighth grade, <laughs> what you would say? No. Because I, say I think two. that I would have said Gattaca uh-huh. of just sort of. A movie when I was a young teenager that mm-hmm. really like stood out to me as being one of my favorite movies. Well, I think I, I would say Gattaca. Tw- I was twelve in the eighth grade, so I wasn't quite a teenager. Yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sure, yeah. I mean, had I seen this movie at you know twelve or thirteen, I, would, I mean, aren't you like been obsessed with it? Thirteen years old, fourteen in the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I was twelve. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I definitely would have appreciated it at, at that age for sure. Um, I, I, I for sure loved it when you know when I when I did see it when I was when like I said I was nineteen when I watched this and uh, yeah did you it was see not no I did not see it in the you theater. didn't see it in the same not a lot of people I, saw I, this I movie don't in the really uh, you know recall what I was doing like what movies I saw at that age I just know that I was nineteen based on the year that it was released. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I definitely did not see it in the theater. Uh, I'm sure I just rented it on my own just because I wanted to see it. And it was unlike anything that I had seen before. Um, you know, it has a very like, it has an old Hollywood movie feel to it. Obviously, you know, you watch it and you feel like you almost feel like you're watching something like, you know, like a double indemnity, kind of like a noir movie. This could be a black and white movie with, you know, old Hollywood actors from like the forties or the fifties. Um, but again, it doesn't feel dated. It feels very, it feels very current. I was very on board with it because it had Ethan Hawke, Ethan, who I grew up with, Uma and, and Jude. Yeah. Um, and so I was just very much like, uh, on board with anything that Ethan Hawke was doing at the time. Uma Thurman, I had on my radar. I was aware of who she was as an actress. I knew she was just this, you know, beautiful statuesque I've, model. I've talked about on the show actor. just being obsessed with Uma Thurman when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Like thinking that she was the most beautiful woman that I have ever seen. I mean, I can probably quote every line of dialogue from her in both the truths about 
the truth about cats and dogs and Batman and Robin. Uh-huh. And I mean, she made all of those movies back to back truth about cats and dogs, Gattaca, Batman and Robin. So yeah, she's just kind of on a roll in the late nineties. Right. Uh, and I think she was very much positioned to be this most beautiful woman you've ever seen kind of a, this entity out there. And then it also, this movie is where the two of them kind of, their relationship kind of got started. And so that, that is like this epic, like Hollywood. I think that Maya Hawk um, has a lot of, I mean, should she be thanking the casting director of Gattaca <laughs> in Jersey films? Sure. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think this was most likely the very first thing that I had ever seen Jude Law in. And I remember being fascinated by this uh, English man, this English boy that's in this movie, and just this face on him and this, you know, this just way about him, the way he, about him in this movie, about the way he spoke and just this attitude. And um, I was very taken by by Jude Law when I saw this and... Um, and uh, the rest was history with that one. But yeah, I think it's just this movie has all the right elements for someone of a certain age to be like, that is my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially somebody that was very into sci-fi and science fiction. And um, I think the big kind of like ideas in this movie about, gosh. Predestination yeah. of genetics. Just kind of having your entire life mapped out for you in this society. And like, you know, like they were talking about in the... Um, one of the little special features we saw, like that's that's something that's been kind of touched on and, and you know, things like Brave New World and all that. But uh, I don't know. I just... Uh, there was just something about this movie. And also, it, it this movie does have this very, like, timeless, kind of otherworldly feel to it. But at the same time, a lot of these locations are in Southern California. Well, I know that was a budgetary <laughs> issue that this was a very modest movie mm-hmm. for the studio. I can't remember what studio did this movie. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But uh-huh. it was produced by Jersey Films that it was given a very modest budget. They could probably not create a lot of sets for this movie on sound stages. So they had to work with pre-existing buildings well, and just anything that they thought read it as It works really futuristic. well... T- to have this like brutalist architecture that is present in campuses, universities, mm-hmm. medical buildings, government buildings, um, to stand in for things like the Gattaca Corporation and all that. So, the Marin uh, County Civic Center—that's one of the last big Frank Lloyd Wright mm-hmm. buildings that he designed in in. Marin. It's for the uh, interiors and exteriors and, of Gattaca. Anyone from Marin would would cancel their subscription to our podcast <laughs> uh, if you don't say Marin. Um, yeah. So, uh, listeners, uh, th- again, this is from 1997. Not the oldest movie we've done on the show by a long shot, but uh, you know, older. And I also think that this movie may not be on everybody's radar. Um, so maybe we should give a quick kind of like synopsis of what do you tell people this movie's about it's kind of it looks at the future society that is driven by is it eugenics 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 that um you can kind of conceive people through specifically picking what their DNA is to kind of give them the best hereditary traits and your entire life 
is mapped out for you when you were born. Right. Uh, well, as everyone is well familiar with the eugenics wars uh, that were started by uh, the Wrath of Khan. Um, ah, yes. You know. But uh, so eugenics is, uh, you know, kind of, um, it's the science of manipulating genes, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, parents going in and artificially creating embryos and picking and choosing the best parts and pretty much getting a designer baby, right? I want this color hair, this color eyes, no predisposition to any disease or maladies or heart conditions, any any sort of anything like that. And so the premise of this movie is um, this is the society that they're living in. And it just is the not too distant future, which is very non-committal for a sci-fi movie, but you know, it's also fun. Uh, It's a not too distant future. And all most people in, you know, Western society are having their children this way. Right. And if you're not having your child, if you're having your kid the old fashioned way, just by fucking, it's like this child is kind of shunned because they don't really fit in with the rest of society. They can be prone to anything, any kinds of, you know, diseases or whatever. And they're kind of deemed inferior. So they get kind of like lower caste kind of jobs, right? Yeah. They aren't able to get the better jobs in society. Ethan Hawke is one of these kids. He's one of these kids, the character of Vincent, who is conceived naturally, and his genetic profile indicates that he will have a probability of severe disorders in an estimated lifespan of 30.2 years. Um, and then the shitty thing is, his parents have another kid, and they do it the other way. Mm-hmm. They, they, I guess, I don't know, they save up money or something. So uh, the thing is, at the beginning of the movie, they, the mother wants to name the son Anton after the father. And re- at the last minute, the, the dad says, oh, Vincent Anton. Okay. So Ethan Hawke is not Anton. He's Vincent Anton. They Somehow they gather up enough money to have their kid the the regular way that everybody's doing it. They pick and choose all this good stuff. They have the super baby. And this super baby, they named this baby. Little Anton Anton Jr. played by Lauren Dean. And And it's his younger brother, right? But the thing is, as they grow, little Vincent is sickly. He's smaller. He's skinnier. You know, he, he doesn't grow as big and strong as, as, the younger Anton, who is like the genetically superior, quote unquote, baby. And so Vincent Ethan Hawke wants to join the space program and go out into space and visit the moon uh, or Titan, which is a moon of Saturn. Um, I'm such a dumb-dumb. I was asking you if Titan was a real moon and you were like, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a real moon. Look, it's one of the 14 moons of Saturn. Get with it. Um, well, also, uh, my sister and I had this game. It was a board game. We are kids. And I will have to Google it to figure out what it was called. But essentially, it was Monopoly, but it was the solar system. And so, like, instead of, like, Park Place and, like, you know, Madison Avenue, it was moons of the planets in the solar system. And you were like, that's cute. Ships. Yeah. So it kind of taught me a good deal about like the 
like planetary system. I think that they the go Terran system. I think that in that Brad Pitt movie Ad Astra, they go to one of the moons of Saturn, I think. Or I don't Jupiter. think it's this one. Yeah. Um I can't remember which one. Yeah, and so but the other thing about this movie is that all of this science stuff is very vague. And it it has this this feeling, you know, this retrofuturism is a bit overarching kind of like way to describe the aesthetics of this movie, right? Um all the cars are like 60s chromed out like Mr. Bean cars. I thought the design of the cars was really clever because they use these vintage cars, which I think that these vintage cars They look like little Mr. Bean cars. They're little they're little Mr. Bean cars, but I think that even for like collectors of automobiles, they're, weird. they're very exclusive. Yeah. Like yeah. they didn't make a lot of them. No, they're all weird. And cars. they do this cool thing with the sound design is they put this electric sound. It sounds like the Jetsons underneath them. Cars. Yeah. It's kind of clever. Yeah. I mean, it kind of sounds like the Futurama. Well, the Futurama cars, it's the Jetsons sound effect. Um, it kind of sounds like that. I know that's not what they're going for. They're kind of going for something more sophisticated, but I'm like, eh, it's Jetsons. Um, so this, you know, so this, it's this retrofuturism, which is very much like a mid-century modern, right? Everything's got a clean line, very stark, chrome, you know, metallics, uh, stone, stonework, all this stuff. Um, and, all of the imagery of like we never really see the rockets or the ships mm-hmm. that go into space. We see the launches, and it's just like smoke afterburn. Yeah, you know anything um, that would read well on camera. Yeah, uh, but what we do see is like these lines of men in like business suits. And it's like, very Kubrick. What, what the fuck? I mean, I guess it's very Kubrick. I just thought it was very like Plan Nine from Outer Space. To me, it seems just this very '60s idea of like what eventually it will be like to go into space, which I think is really fun as part of your job. Mm-hmm. Like, this is my job. They're sending me to space. I'll be back in a month. Put the meatloaf in the oven. Yeah, you know, and you go and you take your good hat and like your umbrella. And a briefcase. Um, and it's very like Plan 9 from Outer Space. Like, those are the aliens. They're wearing like black lipstick and a cape. <laughs> but it's like, that's an alien. Um, that's kind of the vibe that but I But it's got so cool, it. though. But it is very I love it. it. Very Just cool. kind of well this kooky retro futurism. Yeah. That's all over this movie. I think it's awesome. Yeah. And like, Uma is in these like. I don't know. She's almost very much like a Mugler woman. Did you she's notice? Giving, she's giving almost like a very like na- like Patrick Nagel kind of like. Did you notice Mugler who the costume designer is? Look. No, I did. It's not. Colleen Atwood. Oh, very good. Yeah, um, she's she wears like these, uh, you know, these business suits with like a like a pencil skirt like below the knee mm-hmm. and like a a very like a blue sant like top that's like a, a twisty like with like a high neck and i like, love uh, the silver metallic crazy. dress that she wears when they go to the nightclub sure yeah her her going out her going out stuff is so first off uma thurman and ethan hawk are a striking couple. that is a beautiful couple striking right there couple i think she's taller than him than him a little bit well i mean uma is a very can tall we, woman can we ask the producers what how tall is uma thurman Hey Siri, how tall is Uma Thurman? Uma Thurman is six feet. Six feet. Ethan Hawke is five eleven. Ethan Hawke is. I'm seeing five ten on 10. Google. So I mean, Ooh. they're not shade. Mm-hmm. Two inches taller. That's a that's a good height difference, especially for the woman. I never get kind of women that are really like hung up on height. 
on men. It's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. It's I don't thing. really agree with it. <laughs> because you're 5'9". Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I'm also like the average height of the typical man, too. Are you? Like 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, <laughs> I would say that's on average. Um, yeah. But uh, no, so we're watching this movie and uh, we're watching a Blu-ray, right? Or is it a 4K? It's a 4K. It's a 4K. Yeah. So we're watching a 4K transfer of Gattaca and I'm looking at our TV and I'm just like, this, these shots of Uma in like a medium shot, she's like in the center of the screen and it's her in like a up swept French twist mm-hmm. and like this, you know, severe business and that suit and that beautiful and angular face of so, hers. No, so I'm watching it mm-hmm. and I'm just like, this looks like it was digitally retouched, but it was not because that was impossible. Ninety-seven. <laughs> you could that's you could just sort of her do a face, but they wouldn't have done it for this movie. Probably that's just her yeah. face. Like she just looks like her face in this movie is flawless. It looks airbrushed when she's standing still and it's like okay yes it's a 4k they did not go in this movie has no is like steve's production company it is like not a big studio who who distributed this movie so this was a columbia and sony movie and produced with jersey films jersey films danny devito danny devito there you go so you know this is not exactly like the biggest budgetist movie of all time i really doubt that they went into the gattaca 4k and they're like let's do a little bit of retouching no no it's just uma's face she just looks like that well and kind of the irony behind that is the character of irene is an invalid but i think that just that she is just of that level that she looks like Uma Thurman. That How she's, is she an invalid if she works at Gattaca? I think that she's let to work at Gattaca because she looks like Uma Thurman. <laughs> but the character, it's in there with the characters that she has the heart condition. She mm-hmm. has to take she has to take the medication. Right. So I think that she can work at Gattaca, but I think there's a ceiling of what she can do there. She's not going into space. She's not going into outer space. Sure. Um, so, okay, so Vincent... First off, he gets a job on the cleaning crew at this company. And Gattaca is this, you know, it's kind of like a SpaceX kind of a corporation. We don't know what they do. All they do is send these rockets to the moon, right? Well, I well, I mean, I think that it's important to talk about the backstory of Vincent growing up with his brother. Right. Is... I mean, even before he gets the job as the janitor. Because mm-hmm. it really informs the character. Of when he would swim out to the ocean with his brother, Anton Jr., it's just sort of, that's just sort of the character wanting to go the distance, even though it might not be possible for him. And then he could find his way. And then he ends up winning one of the swimming races. Uh huh. Because he didn't save anything for for the distance back. Uh, okay, well, you have to you have to preface that by saying they these swim these swimming races are they swim from the shore out directly into the ocean. Yeah, it's not across a pool as far as as far as they can swim. Right, and whoever it's chicken essentially, and whoever gets tired and has to turn back first loses, and he always loses because he's smaller and scrawnier. And one day he eventually wins, and the bigger, stronger Anton is the one that says, "I had I need to stop and go back." Um, he has to help him back. Yeah. So, yeah, so just very, like, informative for the character that he can do it. 
Right. Um, and that's the thing. It's like we find out that there are these kind of like uh, back alley black market ways of him faking his identity to get into the Gattaca Corporation, but that's not enough. He also has to have the physical stamina because they are like these daily, you know, check-ins with, you know, running on a treadmill. They take tabs on everyone. Yeah. So he has to, he has to be able to, to keep up with that somehow, even though he does have a heart condition. Um, So we need to talk about Jude Law and how, this character gets introduced. So he's introduced with Tony Shalhoub monk that he sort of helps out invalids. What actually, what do they actually call it? There, there's a name for it. Hold on. Let me check. In my for notes. the Tony Shalhoub character. Yeah. I don't know. That, okay. The one thing that I kind of have about this movie is that they try to kind of create this, like this kind of like language or this future speak about like, Oh well, if you you know if you were born naturally outside of this new genetic, you know genetic modified way, then they call you an invalid, right? And that's like it's the same as like invalid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Uma Thurman says, "Oh, you're a godchild," and it's like, okay, all right, all right, uh, uh, fucking Clockwork Orange, like the, sometimes. Trying to trying too hard to introduce these like phrases. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think anybody would say this stuff. Um, so, so he gets this chance to pose as a valid by using donated hair, skin, blood, and urine samples from a former swimming swimming star, Jerome Eugene Morrow, who was paralyzed after getting hit by a car. And that's when we're introduced to Jude Law. Yes, this is um, this is the Jude Law character. He had his accident outside of the United States, so it's not yet on any records that he can't walk. And so he has to go through this process of, like, he's got, like, this, like, stadium buddy uh, situation, this, like, pack of, like, this pack of, like, urine that he straps to his thigh Mm -hmm. every day. And he, like, goes in and, like, like, has to do, like, a pee test in front of this doctor. The doctor always checking out the dicks on all of these on all of these patients. Well, I mean, he says like to the point where it's uncomfortable. He's commenting on Ethan Hawke's dick, like in every scene he's in. He's just like, oh, by the way, great cock, picking out dick size for um, your kids. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he's like walking around all day with the stadium buddy. He has they they do what. I initially thought was just a fingerprint scan. I was like, oh, they do that at like Knott's Berry Farm now. But like, no, it's not just a scan. It's a it's a blood test. It's a pinprick. Mm-hmm. Every time they scan your fingerprint, they're like testing your blood. So it's like he has to do this thing with like fake fingerprints that are filled with blood. Like all this, this whole song and dance every day. And he's got to like scrape himself down to like scrape off all the like dead skin cells and like loose hairs and all this stuff. It's a, it's a process. I'm like, at this point, I'm just like, I'll watch the launch from TV. I'm okay. I'll keep like, I'll keep vacuuming at at Gattaca. I don't, I don't need to go through this kind of, this kind of rigmarole just to, just to, just to get in. But you know, it's a long strenuous process, but Jude law is this character who, you know, he had this great life ahead of him. He had, you know, all this, he was, you know, genetically modified um, before he was born. He was a swimmer. Um, 
I was could have gone into space if he wanted to, but yeah, this car accident, you know, you can't predict that. I was reading about the character name of Eugene. That's his middle name because well, he eugenics. he asked him to be called Eugene, and Eugene comes from the Greek world well born, which he is, and eugenics. I mean, everybody's name in this movie is kind of like Jerome. That's almost like um, it's almost like you're looking at the word genetics, Jerome. Never okay. mind. <laughs> uh, a homonym. Um, yeah, but that's another thing about this movie. I think that the writer went through great pains to put, you know, symbolism behind everything. Um, Irene is Uma Thurman's character. Her last name is Cassini. And um, it was the, the Cassini space mission. And I think there's like Cassini telescopes. It's from a stuff. 17th century Italian astronomer. Mm-hmm. See? See? See how I know these things? <laughs> I get it from Star Trek, you guys. Um, but I love that uh, Jude Law's character, he's like this alcoholic. And he's very surly. Yeah. And he's in a wheelchair. And he lives in this apartment, which is this very like... Um, I love I love their little bachelor pad. You know, uh, it's this very stark, like, uh, concrete floors kind of a situation. It's got this spiral staircase and but he's in a wheelchair and there's no elevator. So he's bound to the first floor. Right. And I think the door to get into the apartment is on the second floor. Yeah. Um, And he's down there, but he's like he's just very bitter. He's bitter because it's like his life was taken away, but he should have had it and all this stuff. Um, so somehow he ends up with Tony Shalhoub and is just like, fuck it. Why not? Why don't I just sell my identity? I'll get this money. I'll be able to like swim in as much booze as I want. And all I have to do is like piss in a jar, you know, every day. But it's cool because it's Jude Law and he gets to be this like fun, snarky, like, you know, yeah, kind of like bitchy character. He has a lot. He has a lot of good lines. First American movie role of Jude Law. I was well, reading that the uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil would be later this uh, later ninety seven. Sure, yeah, and that yeah, and that makes that stands to reason why I feel like this is the first thing I ever saw. Him. He looks very different. He looks so young. He's a baby. Um, yeah, I was just like, holy crap, looks like a different person. But um, we love when they're on screen together. I think Ethan and and Jude Law kind of make a good pair. There's a there's a, a scene where they're talking about how he uh, Ethan Hawke is going to pass for Jude Law because the two, other than them being like two white dudes, don't look that. Similar. We're very fascinated with the picture that comes up for Jerome. Right. I was like, they had to that angle comes up in that scan. Jude Law's okay. So the idea, listeners, if you're not familiar, is Jude Law is the character that Ethan Hawke is trying to pass for. And every time they take these scans of his blood or his fingerprint or what have you, the this picture comes up on these little screens. And they're these little analog, you know, not digital screens on these devices. I love that little side effect. That little shitty futuristic devices. I love that little sound effect when it comes up on the screen. Yeah, they just look like little TVs. They look Mm -hmm. like something out of Star Trek or, you know, Austin Powers or something. And there's this image that is Jude Law's kind of like ID picture. And it's like they manipulated this image in a way that it looks like Jude Law 
but it kind of looks like Ethan Hawke. Like the angle of his face, he's like looking down. His face is angled down, but his eyes are angled up, and it's like it elongates his chin. I think they may have manipulated the image to kind of like yeah. morph their two faces together. I think together. so. Um, but it looks enough like the both of them that if one of them is standing next to it, you're like, okay, you're good to go. Um, yeah, it's a, that is a very, like, I was, I was obsessed with that. But um, there's, there's a scene where they're talking about Ethan Hawke and Tony Shalhoub's like, you're going to have to wear contact lenses. And he's like, well, can't we just like change, like surgically alter my eyes? And he's like, oh, they, they'd see the scars. Yeah. But I'm like, but they wouldn't be able to see that you're wearing contacts. Um, so they, you know, they give him these colored contact lenses because also this character needs glasses, which is the thing where it's like, well, fuck me. I wouldn't be able to survive in this society. I'd be cleaning toilets for sure because I can't see worth a damn without my glasses. So uh, he's got to wear these contacts. And he's like, we're, you know, we have to change the color is wrong. And Jude Law says, my eyes are prettier. My eyes are prettier. <laughs> and that, and that pouty, and that pouty my, little Jude my voice. My eyes are prettier. Uh, yeah, I'm just like, oh, my God, this bitch. Um, you know, so it's like there's like this jealousy kind of thing where it's like, who the fuck do you think you are? Like trying to pass yourself off as me. It's like my eyes are fucking prettier. And then there's also this this situation where Jude Law's character, the actual, the actual Jerome is six feet tall. And in the movie, they tell Ethan Hawke, like that's, that's a good two inches taller than you. And he's like, you're not going to, maybe I can just wear lifts and even lifts. That's not going to make you that tall. Yeah. Yeah. So they have to do this leg lengthening surgery, which is a real thing. Leg length, leg lengthening is a real thing. Rivers Cuomo famously had one leg lengthened. Oh my God! Really? Yeah, he was born with one leg shorter than the other. Oh, okay. Um, I think by almost two inches. And um, I remember when he had the surgery. So he would walk like like Tiny Tim or something. He had a shoe with one shoe was a had a lift. Oh wow! One shoe was like a little Herman Munster shoe. Huh? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I um, love these scenes in the movie though. Just like the the makeover. Making him over into Ethan's scene, or making him over into Jude Law scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, because don't we all just want to become become Jude Law? Jude Law. Well, yeah. Somebody that handsome. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, all the scenes are really great, especially because Jude Law gets to be super bitchy about it, and um, yeah, I never really caught on when I first watched it of like the two of them and just like this weird tension that's there. I mean, they're living in this uh, this apartment like yeah, they have a, to live together. They're living in this apartment like they're a gay mar- married couple. Yeah, and you know, at, when uh, when Ethan Hawke does have the leg lengthening surgery, there are scenes where he has to be in these these braces and he can't move, so he's either laying on the floor or laying on a counter or something, and so he's just there like reading or whatever, and the other one's over there just like drinking like vodka like straight out of the bottle and it's just like they're just yeah they're these very funny little like slice of life like home life scenes Mm -hmm. between the two of them and then when it does get to the point where ethan hawk finally does he's ready he's ready to go it's like showtime it's like day one bitch you're going in you're gonna do the fake fingerprint you're gonna do the fake p test and you're gonna apply for this job and that morning 
Ethan Hawke's like running around like a crazy person, and they have like a fun little argument. I love that scene, and it is a it is a great. <laughs> My God, what's wrong with the machine? There's nothing wrong with the machine. It's a hot sample. You've been drinking again. I haven't. Oh Christ, Eugene! It's eight o'clock in the morning. I haven't. Uh. This is no joke. I just, my interview is in an hour. There is more vodka in this piss than there is piss. All right, I'm sorry. I had half a glass to celebrate. I'm sorry. Try Fridays. That one will be okay. There's only Wednesday left. Wednesday. That's the one. It's a great little argument. I, lo- I, I, I love the two of them in it mm-hmm. because, you know, Ethan Hawke's just like, ah, there's more vodka than piss in all these bags. And he's like, these two, <laughs> these two queens just bickering with each other. <laughs> but I love Jude Law. He's like, I haven't, I haven't drank. Oh my God. It's so good. I mean, just how this movie also just photographs the male body. I mean, even <laughs> in the opening scenes of this movie is Ethan getting off all of his dead skin Get particles, mm-hmm. um, scrubbing, I mean, scrubbing off all of his skin particles, nails, bits and pieces of hair. And you get, <laughs> and you get him in that, in that little chamber. Uh-huh. That's definitely an image that I remember like burned into my 13-year-old brain when uh-huh. I was in junior high, where all of the scenes like that of just how Andrew Nicole, uh, Nicole. Nicole just kind of photographs the male body. I don't know. Is that weird? No, it's not. Just weird. kind of how it's all photographed. <laughs> no, sure, it's not. Because um, it does. Yeah, because it's a, it's it's lit in like this blue light, and they have him kind of like crouched in this like weird position. It's almost as if he's like in the shower, but he's like sitting. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you were to sit on your shower, like on the floor of your bathtub, and just like take a brush, and you know. You know, they say when you shower and when you, you know, dry yourself off, it's like you're shedding a lot of dead skin at that point. But he's like, it's to the point at the Scatica Corporation that if they do go in and check, then they just even buy a, you know, a hair that's left in a in a brush, which I don't know who's got a brush. In Vincent even work. planting uh, DNA from Jerome just well, around he's the office. Like a hair and yeah. a brush in his drawer. Um, things like that. Uh, so yeah, so he's got to get rid of all of the evidence of himself before he goes in and, you know, just taking a, a little vacuum and cleaning out his keyboard and all that. Um, that's one thing that I'm like, all right, those keyboards look a little nineties. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, so these scenes and they do it a lot. It's in the, the opening montage of this movie. Um, is like clipping his nails and cutting his hair and plucking, you know, little these these super zoomed in like macro shots of like nail clippings and hair clippings and all that stuff. Um, but they do they they do this thing where they constantly are showing naked Ethan Hawke scrubbing his body. And in '97, Ethan Hawke is probably what 27, 28, late twenties, I think. Um, 
top of his game, like body yada yada. Probably the best what? that he's ever looked in a movie, Wise, as far as I'm you know, concerned. Um, and so yeah, and it's shot in this blue light. It's very like atmospheric. It's very like, you know, almost like a music video. But yeah, there's there's a lot of lingering shots. There's a shot later on in the movie where he's like, he's doing this whole ritual, but like in the ocean, naked on a beach, like, all butt naked on yeah. the beach. Yeah. So and it's like Uma Thurman's in this movie. We don't get all these long lingering shots of her naked body. You know, um, it's 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 just Ethan. So. Finally, we get some we get some comeuppance, but uh, but yeah, just kind of scenes like that that really make an impression on just kind of young homosexuals is just how both of these men look in this movie. Yeah, of just kind of this perfection of both of them. Yeah, because I mean Jude Law just looks like that and everything. That's just that's just his face. It's just congratulations, dude. You just look like Jude Law. Um, but yeah, even even in a wheelchair, even just sulking, and they give him like these dark circles under his eyes and all that. But even even all that, you're just like, all right, it's Jude Law. <laughs> we get we get it. <laughs> um, but I definitely didn't pick up on the idea of the two of them sharing this living space and the two of them kind of living together. But watching it now, I'm just like, oh my god! When uh, there's a scene where he. T- uh, Vincent takes Jerome out to like a nightclub. It's when they go and celebrate when he it's kind of confirmed that he's going to be going up into space. Right. And there's like a point where they get home and like Jude Law's drunk and he's got to like pick him up out of the chair and like put him in bed. And I'm just like, all right, kiss. Come on. Come on. Just kiss. I'm like, when the whole time I'm just like, any other movie. Come on, you fucking cowards. <laughs> uh, I'm like, what am I watching here? They didn't go there. That's not the kind of movie they're making, but, you know, whatever. Take the good with the bad. I think that you could very easily kind of adjust this material that you could easily just kind of slide in a sex scene between these two. Yeah, and why not? Yep. And why not still? He could still go for uh, for Uma and have all their scenes together. I, I mean, think come that on, if this movie matter? would be made now, they would probably go there. Yeah. Come on. Another thing that this movie does is that they try and populate, they try, they don't do it successfully 100% of the time, but they try and populate this world, you know, of this corporation, uh, Gattaca, with all of these actors who are of a certain, like, stature or whatever it's like it's like lord of the rings it's like peter jackson hiring you know the elves right you have to Mm -hmm. be a certain height you have to have a certain look about you to like to make it as an elf in in the lord of the rings movie and so i think they they tried to do that they got um volleyball superstar gabrielle reese to be in this movie as a as like kind of a as kind of like a coach or like a, a you know physical like instructor, you know, when they're doing their like this treadmill workouts, Gabrielle Reese is walking back and forth. Gabrielle Reese is a big bitch. Yeah, she's a she's a trainer. Um and so I feel like that that was like an intention. But then there were certain things where it's like okay, but kind of one of the main detectives working on this case is Alan Arkin. Well also I take it that <laughs> how okay in the universe of the world that Gattaca is set in, uh-huh. do you think that this is really a first, at most, second generation of people that you can sort of genetically modify? I mean, to? they're probably the first, you know, 
generation of like yeah of people this age that are so doing he's it. a he I mean he's an old school detective right that maybe to do that job even though um, Vincent's brother does work for the police force and uh-huh. is a is a detective but Vincent's brother is above Alan Arkin yeah. Alan mm-hmm. Arkin is reporting to him, this mm-hmm. younger guy. So, oh, we also forgot that there's a murder at the beginning of this movie, mm-hmm. and there's like a mystery. Um, somebody who was kind of in charge at Gattaca was killed. Yeah, and it's kind of ambiguous to whether or not Ethan Hawke was involved. Well, I take it Ethan Hawke was involved with it. But he wasn't. I always take it. I always he wasn't. I always took it that, um, it's Gore Vidal. I always took it Gore Vidal is taking the fall for it. I don't think so. Really? That's what I. That's what I read from it. Oh, I never got that. That Ethan Hawke. That is, Ethan Hawke murdered that guy when he was catching on to him a little. When he was kind of observing him a little too closely. It's, no, it seemed like the timing was off to me. I don't know about that. That's something that that we can all kind of... Ultimately, I don't think the murder really matters, too. Not really. It's no. just it's just kind of a device to get the cops there and to keep Ethan Hawke on his toes the entire time. Mm-hmm. So we have this device of, they're looking for me. and or They're looking for somebody, and... Because of that, they're probably going to find me. I always forget Gore Vidal's in this movie, right? And then I see his name in the credits because, like, when I was thirteen years old, like, I didn't, I didn't fucking know who Gore Vidal was. You said, you said the director of Pirates of the Caribbean is in this. The future director of Pirates of the Caribbean is in this movie. No, that's Gore Verbinski. Um, yeah, he is, and it's kind of a not a substantial role, but it's not quite a cameo. In several scenes, he's yeah. he's featured throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, and and he's in this movie, and even he's kissed more boys than you have. Girls, <laughs> boys kiss. Boys girls. kiss girls, Lisa. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, just kind of this other weird queer layer of this movie is just the casting <laughs> of, of Gore Vidal. I think is just so funny. Sure, sure. Um, did you find? Did you dig anything up on this director, um, Andrew uh, Nickel? Nickel. Andrew Nichols had an interesting career. I mean, right after he made Gattaca, he is he's he's from New Zealand. He's a uh. screenwriter from New Zealand. Hey. I mean, he started his career with doing Gattaca. He followed it up with writing the Truman Show, that got him an Oscar nomination. So, I mean, I guess that he did kind of follow up Gattaca with something big, which was writing which was writing the Truman Show. His next directing outing was Simone in 2002 Ooh. that I remember being excited for because Ooh. I was a fan of Gattaca, but that movie's just such a letdown that it's just not good. You so you saw it. I saw it. It's an interesting premise, but I just don't really think that there's a lot going on in that movie. Uh, for those of you not familiar, Simone is the um, biopic of Raven Simone. <laughs> um, it's not. It's a 2002 science fiction drama written and directed by Andrew Nichols, starring Al Pacino and Catherine Keener. And it's this uh, this director creating this virtual actress that doesn't exist, and they're putting her in movies. 
<gasps> Very timely. Would you call her artificial intelligence? Mm-hmm. Rachel Roberts as Simone. We were both wrong. Oh, and look at that. Her spouse, as of 2002, Andrew Nichol. Sure. <laughs> um, I never saw Lord of War, even though I know that movie does kind of have its fa- has its fans. It has a really famous opening credit sequence. I don't know that I'm familiar with that movie at it's all. With Nick Cage and uh, Bridget Monaghan and Jared Leto, Ethan Hawke's also in it too. Um, he also directed In Time, which you could. I think that th- that director has actually said is like a a bastard take on Gattaca. Oh, I thought he was being shady. No. I mean, he was being shady about his own work. About his own work. I think that he was pretty much recognizing that I've already made this movie before, and it was better. Girl, that's so weird. Yeah. I read that on the... Inf- okay, there's... In the Wikipedia article for Gattaca, there is a paragraph under Legacy... And the paragraph is titled, Influence on the Movie in Time. Writer-director Andrew Nichol has called his 2011 film In Time a Bastard Child of Gattaca. I just read the 2011 film. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that, so that's so interesting. I think he was just kind much... of being shady about his own movie. Does In Time also have this uh, uh, obsession with the color green and gold? I that was something about this movie at the time where I was just like, oh, it's this is very kind of moody. This movie is uh, it's very distinct in its visual style. Um, we talked a little bit about the location use in this movie. What well, let's name some of the locations. So whenever we're driving by the freeway, we always drive by. Well, the uh, I think the structure is now gone, but there uh, the. The, the exterior for the building that Jude Law and Ethan Hawke live in, uh, it's at Cal Poly Pomona here in, um, in Southern California. And it's a very like this angular kind of pyramidal shape of this building. IMDb says it's not there anymore. And the last few times we've driven past it, I've been looking for it. And I feel like it was obscured by trees or a hill or something, but it might just be gone. Um, they also shot outside of the Great Western Forum, which is now called something else. What's the forum called? Um, which is a, a venue for basketball games as well as um, concerts. We saw Elton John uh, at the forum. It's the scene where it's the scene forum. where Irene is bringing the little piece of hair of Vincent, and she's going to get it. She's going to bring it to a lab, and she walks up to the ticket booth to the forum, and that's where she gives it. Right. That's where she gives it to him. Yep. Right. Um, there's. They also use the, uh, I believe it's the Second Street Tunnel in downtown Los Angeles that was famously used in uh, Blade Runner. Everybody has to thank Ridley Scott of just how you photograph that tunnel, is that you photograph it with wet walls. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. It's a thing in movies, if you're not familiar, where they just kind of spray down the street with water. Uh, and in, in, in the tunnel in uh, in this movie and in Blade Runner, they sprayed down the sides with water and it just reflects the light so much better and it just looks more alive, less flat. And um, yeah, every movie since then that has shot anything in the Second Street Tunnel does that. And they also light it green. Um, there's something about movies in the late 90s, sci-fi movies, that ha- that they have to be green. Yeah. What are other movies that are photographed like that? Uh, the Matrix. The Matrix, sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Especially with yeah. yeah. It's like either green or that 
blue tint that the Matrix has when they go outside. It's it's mostly green in the first Matrix, um, when they're especially when they're outside. Oh, I thought there was it's, kind uh, of blue, dark, dark city, uh, city of lost children. Um, yeah, it's just a thing where sci-fi movies in the late nineties are very green. Uh, the all the the lights on the headlights on all the cars, they're all green in this movie. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is when it's right when they're going through the tunnel, uh, right where they go through the tunnel, and Irene's bringing Vincent to the these solar panels to watch the sunrise, and they cross the road. I love that scene. And Vincent has to take out his contacts because there's a stop, because they've kind of... They're patrolling all of, the, all of these miles around Gattaca to try to find this person. And they take the little wand to see if they're wearing contacts, and he takes him out. And then they have to cross the road. Yeah, and he can't see anything, and mm-hmm. it's nighttime. And Irene, crossing this freeway to get where these solar panels are. Like a bad bitch. Yeah. <laughs> this, I'm just going to cross this busy-ass freeway. In a, in a ball gown and a shawl, just like, come mm-hmm. on, follow me. But anyways, they end up at the K, uh, KJC Solar Farm. Where's that at? It is... I think there's a famous picture of the Smashing Pumpkins that they took. It's in Hinkley, California. All right. Harper Lake Road, Hinkley, California. But yeah, I love that scene. I was trying to look up. There's a picture in the uh, like CD booklet of um, a Smashing Pumpkins album. I think it's Melancholy. And it looks fake. It doesn't look like they're actually there, but they're in front of these solar panels. And I always wanted to know if it was... It, it could be. ...the same location. There might be they, a, a few of these in Southern California, too. Yeah. Oh, the, there definitely are. Because um, mm-hmm. there's there's some... I think there's some on the way to Vegas. or some, some. I think that there's some on the way to Bakersfield or mm-hmm. something, too. But um, that scene always stuck with me. And when we watched it again, I was like, it's so much shorter. They're just kind of there for the sun coming up and hitting them and causing this reflection. And then they take a little bit of a stroll. But I was like, I in my memory, it's just like... The scene is so striking of them being there like among these like rows and rows and rows of solar panels. And the it's, it's shot. Not only is it shot in these, like these very striking locations of this, like brutalist kind of like stark architecture, but they also do this thing where there's like, there's no people anywhere. (laughs) There's cars on the road. Yeah. So like, you know, crossing the freeway and and being in the tunnel and the cops and stuff. But there's also these shots where they're in these locations, this giant, you know, structure that their apartment's supposed to be in. And there may be like one person way in the back. Um, It was probably stark. It was probably budgetary constraints, but I think it kind of works with the tone of. Oh, absolutely. With the lonely tone of this. No, absolutely. It works really well. Um, But yeah, they they do it in a lot of these these crazy locations. And um, there there's a there's a shot of Ethan and Uma walking and they're at like they're at this like this dam. Yeah, a big dam. And it's like, it's not a dam in the movie. It's just supposed to be this like thoroughfare that they're walking through. But it's these giant structures, you know. Sepulveda Dam in Encino. Yeah. I was reading. They're just walking underneath these like huge, you know, these structures are big. They're built for these industrial purposes. And and they're walking through it. And it just looks like so, like everything's just looming over them. And just visually, yeah, just visually striking. It's like they could have done a thing where it's like, it's L.A. in the future with tall buildings and all, but yeah. they didn't do that. They didn't, they didn't build this new 
Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah, they just or kind of extend, you know, what's what's already here and add more buildings and stuff. Yeah. They did this very stark v- version and it's 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 really cool. And it doesn't even necessarily mean this is Los Angeles. Yeah. You it know? could be really anywhere. The 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 the, the landmarks and the thing that the, the things that they're using are very like I don't know, they're very uh, uh they're iconic, but not in a way that you're like, "Oh, that's a Sepulveda." <laughs> I feel you like know? I feel like you and me when we drive around Los Angeles, we're always really obsessed with locations like that here, of just sort of that mid-century modern '60s and '50s yeah. design of yeah. Los Angeles that they were trying to kind of bring Los Angeles into the future, right? And what and it's kind of fun to point out all of those locations when you drive around the city that look like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean the forum structure, it's a it's a stadium, but it's like circular and it has these like pillars outside of it and it's yeah, it's it looks like a drum. It's really weird and strange, but yeah, there's a lot of these these crazy, you know, just giant monolithic kind of like structures out mm-hmm. here. Um, and it's it's all used extremely well, and but yeah, there's just all these a lot of like a lot of golds, a lot of greens, silver, things like that. There's blue in there, but it's like there's it's like this almost this thing where it's like I don't know certain colors you don't see a lot of. There's not a lot of red um, in this movie. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's it's a very deliberate style and visual like look of it and just let yeah down to their clothes even when they go out to this to this concert that's performed by a piano player with 12 fingers that's very cronenberg (laughs) if you've seen crimes of the future by david cronenberg like they do kind of weird shit like that yeah of just genetically modifying your body yeah. For the purpose of art. Yeah. That, that's very Cronenberg. Yeah. And she says, oh, that piece can only be played with 12 fingers. Mm-hmm. And you're like, really? We just saw it. We just heard it. So some of the 12 fingers didn't play it. <laughs> I wonder what piece it actually was, mm-hmm. you know? But um, for the purposes of this movie, you have to have 12 fingers to play that. that I was piece. trying to put in my notes just kind of the queer themes of the story. And right. I kept thinking about predestination of... Just kind of coming into this world as a person of the LGBT community. Okay. And society has these expectations of this is the life that you are going to be leaving if you are a gay man. Or if you are a man, it's that you're going to marry a woman. You're going to have a family. You're going to go get a career. Right. And just kind of those are things that are kind of instilled in you at a very young age. Or at least it kind of, it once was as the default. It's a little different now. Yeah. But I think still for the most part, you know, if you're just just watching and absorbing, you know, media, it's it's, to an extent it's the default. But I think also it's the idea of being part of a society at large, but knowing, it's almost like like being a closeted gay person, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm fitting into the society at large, and they think that I'm fitting into everything, but really... I got something else going on, and which you're is, and you're not going to figure it out until I tell you. you which know. is definitely Vincent's journey in this movie, right? His whole thing is being in the closet and being secretive and having his own personal identity that he can't show to everybody else. And but even as a gay person who is out, you know, it's like we're out 
to everyone, but I mean, we don't know everybody on earth. So when we go places, we go somewhere new for the most part to 80% of society. I don't know what the default of straight people is, but you know, I think that most people just assume that everybody around them is a straight person, right? So if we go to a new city and we're sitting on a bus, everybody does everybody just assume we're straight men? I don't know. Do I look like a crazy gay person? Because I kind of dress like an idiot, maybe. <laughs> Do I have a stupid haircut and uh, dress like a 15-year-old? Possibly. <laughs> Does that give me away? But um, but do you know what I mean? It's no, a totally. thing of uh, trying to navigate this one world, which mm-hmm. is just the base baseline, everybody fits in kind of world. But really, there's a whole other world underneath it that we're privy to, and we know what's going on. And this movie's theme of just kind of being second best, of that there's something about these characters, according to society, that is second best, of know your place. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that. yeah, that that has, that's this whole civil rights issue, you know? Yeah. It's a a huge civil rights issue, and um, I mean, uh, it's like... (sighs) We're getting to this point where we're just like every <laughs> there's always something going on. We're always just like we know the world is a crazy place. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, and especially right now, you know, it's like it's it's October of 2023, and we know the world is a crazy place right now. And just kind of, uh, I mean, all of these laws of don't say gay that are going throughout the country too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, not even that. It's just like, just, I don't know, just being a Jewish person. Yeah. is something where you're different in plain sight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To a lot of, a lot of the world, it's like, Oh, okay. If, uh, or to a lot of America, it's like, okay, well you're, you're white, but it's like, but also if you're Jewish, it's like, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. And it's like, I feel like there's so much going on w- within, you know, the Jewish community right now that it's like, I can't even speak to, but it's, it's, it's rough right now uh, in in the world um, for as far as civil rights and, and and just wanting to be an alive human because of who you are. And there's a lot of people out there who are like, nope, that's not going to fly with us. And um, so, yeah, right right now in October 2023 or November 2023, I should say, it's uh, it's a crazy place. But it's like a year ago, two years ago. We've been saying this for the past, I don't know how many yeah. years, just like, sorry, you guys, this movie has some really rough content. And I know, like, you know, we can we can equate it to what's going on in the world right now. But it's like, fuck, man. Shit's going crazy out there. <laughs> just, uh, just, just be kind to each other. <laughs> but yeah, it's just kind of one of those interesting movies where you could put the yeah. experience yeah. of any minority yeah. where we are able characters. as gay people we're able to watch this and say okay i see that i see myself mm-hmm. in here i see myself as somebody who needs to fly under the radar when i need to fly under the radar because i have to um or i i did have to do that at one point um yeah and it's it's easy to insert and that's that's i think that's good that's a good movie making or that's good literature or that's just mm-hmm. any kind of good art I th- artistic expression where you can take what this person is is giving you and insert yourself into it. I think that's uh, that's great art. I think, you know, for me, like a uh, 40-something, like, gay Mexican dude to be able to be like, yes, Taylor, tell him. 
<laughs> you know, and be able to insert myself into that narrative. I think that's pretty genius, you know? So for this movie to be like, we as gay people, we can see it. And maybe people of color can see it. And maybe, you know, people, in a, you know, in a um, neurodivergent spectrum can see themselves in, in this kind of situation. It's, I think that's just really good um, artistic expression where people all across the board can kind of insert themselves into I it. think it's a little more accessible that. than something like George Orwell's 1984. Oh, absolutely. Too. Yeah. I mean, I could never really get through 1984 yes, just because yeah. I never felt like I was smart enough for that book, too. Sure. I mean, maybe that's just kind of speaking <laughs> more about just kind of me being self-conscious, but right. there is always something that I could latch on to with the story of Gattaca. Well, and the thing is, too, too. This, is, this is kind of a high-concept movie. Yeah. Um, so it's not like, oh, you know, it's, this is, it's not like a super populist kind of like... I don't know, it's not Armageddon. No, no shade on Armageddon or anything. But it's, I feel like this movie... So, I'm so what I'm saying is, for people to be able to latch on to it, even, even as like kind of high-concept and abstract as it is, that's kind of showing how, uh, how well done... And how well rounded it is, you know, mm-hmm. because some sometimes movies that are a little too high concept, you're like, all right, get your head out of your ass. Uh, uh, what's that one time travel movie about those like office space guys that like build a time machine? <laughs> now I'm not gonna be able to think of what it's called. Primer? <laughs> Primer, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Something, yeah. like, something like Primer where you're just like, I am way too stupid to understand. And I feel like it doesn't even go into like Christopher Nolan territory too. Right. Like Tenet or right, 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 right. Interstellar right. where I feel like, especially a movie like Interstellar feels like they have to over explain science at uh, a point where you're just kind of lost. Right. And I think that there's something very beautiful about the ambiguity of a story like Gattaca that it doesn't need to over explain stuff like that well the problem if there is a problem with Christopher Nolan movies I think that there's definitely some uh, bros out there who who would say that there's no problem with Christopher Nolan movies but I think to me I think sometimes these these very high concept movies like Interstellar or uh, the Robert Pattinson one what's called Tenet. Tenet and Tenet just gets silly too Tenet, where Robert Pattinson's character's name is the protagonist. Yeah. Get the hell out of here with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're a little too long. And I, mean, I th- th- this movie's like a tight hour and 40 that's minutes. That's what I'm saying. For it something fits as, in a lot of yeah. its story in under mean, two hours. Okay. Maybe the super intellectuals out there are just like, this movie isn't as high concept as you guys are making it out. Maybe this movie isn't. But I mean, to us, it is. Like, to our little yeah. pea brains, we're like, this movie is like fucking smart, right? Um, but yeah, it's tight. It doesn't feel long. It doesn't feel short either. It doesn't no. feel like, ooh, that was a breeze. But it, you know, it's like just the right length. And. Um, I don't know. I think for I think for like we're saying a high concept. What do they call them? Like hard sci-fi. Yeah. Like a hard sci-fi movie. It's like super accessible to I think a large audience because mm-hmm. sometimes these hard sci-fi movies like a Tenet or you know something like that or an Interstellar or something. Sometimes they l- kind of lose the audience. Um, what's the one with? Uh, Amy Adams drawing, Arrival. drawing on the whiteboard. Arrival. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Arrival's good. Arrival's great. Yeah. But I do think that sometimes you're like, wait a minute. 
<laughs> I how, mean, how's she how's she making letters out of that? Sure. And I mean, as much as we love Blade Runner on our podcast, I do have to admit, right. there are elements of Blade Runner that are very boring. Mm-hmm. Too that I can see why people are turned off by those movies. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I think that's just this movie is well done as a movie because it's it's like it's visually like beautiful. It um, the story's compelling, um, and yeah, it just guys that thing where we're able to just. I mean, granted, the main characters are like two like white dudes or whatever, but <laughs> but at the same time, I do feel like you know you're able to kind of see the the overarching kind of ideas of of um, the big picture stuff that's going on. In Gattaca. So, plus, I mean, Jude Law and Ethan Hawke. When I rewatched this movie, I'm really struck with how good Jude Law is in this movie. Sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's kind of a hell of a American debut of that this is the first time that American audiences are going to see you. Right. I mean, when you just look at his career trajectory after this, I mean, uh-huh. he immediately follows this up with doing a movie with Clint Eastwood, which I think, which I think that he plays gay. In that movie, uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, yeah, and then the talented Mr. Ripley comes and gets him his first Oscar nomination, sure, and then it just kind of his career just explodes from there. Okay, so he had done Wild, yeah, right, but, or that was released right. Before. He had done a handful of movies in England, right, mm-hmm. and I think that he was discovered by the casting director from doing theater work in England. Of okay, that you need to take a look at this guy. His name is Jude Law. And then there was that that era where he was kind of uh, a little overexposed. overexposed. Is it two thousand four? Two thousand four. He was Ooh, in like child. he's in a he lot was of in like six movies. Okay, let me see if I can <laughs> let me see if I can name them. Do you All have right. his, I his have filmography right, open? I have it up right now. Okay, so two thousand four. He was in Closer. Yes, he was in. Uh, Lenny Schmickett, where he plays the narrator. He, is, he yes, plays Errol Flynn in The Aviator. Yes. He is Alfie, the yes. remake of the Michael Caine movie. Yes. Okay, so we got four. He's three more movies. Three more movies in 2004. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, there was like a Chris Rock joke at the Oscars <laughs> of just how many movies Jude Law had been in. Yeah. I've gotten a lot of the big ones from. Oh before. wait, I'm sorry. Two more. One of them is a. It says deleted scenes, but it's listed as 04, but it's for an 03 movie. So what's sorry. that? Cold Mountain. Oh well, I mean yeah. that that's from. But that's when, from 2003. But it's in. But it's mixed into the 04 bunch, and it just says Cold Mountain colon deleted scenes. I'm like, oh sorry. It was his last Oscar nomination. Yeah, they got him in Best Actor for that. So he's in two more. One of them I like, and you hate. And one of them. Oh, <laughs> Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Yeah. That weird movie. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. in his most known for too. Um, I mean, he that he was a big. Him and his wife Sadie Frost were kind of a big um, driving force behind that behind getting that movie made. Too, I think that he produced okay, it. Okay. Okay, and there's one more. Yes. Give me a hint. Controversial director. Controversial director. It's not someone like Woody Allen. It's not Lars von Trier. All star cast. All star cast. Oh, I don't know. Um, it's two thousand four. Uh, Give me let's another hint. See another hint. Um, oh, I heard Huckabee's. Yeah, it's I heard Huckabee's. He's really funny in art, and I I heard Hart Huckabee's. I saw it in the theater. Don't remember it. 
Yeah, he's really he's really well used in that movie. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in 2006, he's in three movies. Yeah, 2003, he's just in Cold Mountain. But yeah, I mean, six movies, though. That's a lot for 2004. Yeah. That's crazy. And I mean, okay, granted, maybe I Heart Huckabees is a couple weeks. Aviator. Well, and also, I mean, he's... Aviator, a couple weeks. He's like... Lemony Snicket. He's pretty buried in the a aviator week, a week and a half. And he's like, yeah. and he's the narrator of yeah. Lenny Mishmicket. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe he gets a little too much flack for all of those movies in 04. Yeah. I remember seeing Alfie like opening weekend with my friend Jessamine and okay. us being so excited for it. Just and because it's Jude Law. Just right? because it's Jude yeah. Law. Because yes. it's like it's Alfie. You're not like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> Just because it's Jude Law. And I think his career is also really interesting now that I think that he's kind of made this little character actor niche that he doesn't really do the leading roles anymore, but he's still in major movies. Yeah. Yeah. um, I mean, he's like, he's like young bubble butt Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. He has that thick ass in the Fantastic (laughs) Beast movies. Those movies are kind of a mess, but I mean, he's nowhere near what's the matter with those movies. Oh, yeah. yeah, Yeah. yeah, He's probably one of the best parts of them. Yeah, and it's a shame because it would have been interesting to see where they go, especially with what was you know to become of you know that character. And, well, know, and they're straight up hinting at the relationship with him and Mads Mikkelsen, yeah, or absolutely. I mean, are also giant up depending on what yeah. movie you're watching. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, I feel like this movie. I was very much like, all right, who is this? Who is this man? Um, he has those cheeks in this movie, like it's. You were pointing out that it's almost like baby he fat. He still has baby fat in this movie. He looks like his son. He looks like his son in this movie. It's so crazy because we're just so used to what his face looks like now. It's just he's so much more filled out in this. Um, but yeah, I, I I was just like, okay, who who is this man? All right, he's on my radar now. Talented Mr. Ripley comes out. I'm like, great. I saw Enemy at the Gates in the theater. Oh wow! I saw it with Matt Earhart. With uh, two thousand one, man, I was Rachel in the, Vice. In the movies, at okay, that, yeah, at that time, and I cannot tell you the anticipation for AI colon artificial intelligence. We were just talking about AI on the last episode, and yeah. he's the robot Gigolo. Yes, he sure is. He's mm-hmm. Gigolo Joe. Gigolo Joe. Yes, and he t- tap dances, and he like has like a tail coat and like plastic hair. <laughs> like a, a perfect face. So AI is pretty much like this futuristic take on Pinocchio. Who's Gigolo Joe in the story of Pinocchio? He's almost a Jiminy Cricket. I always thought that Jiminy Cricket was the bear. Oh, you're right. The bear is Jiminy Cricket. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're the right. The little bear. Yeah. He meets him at Pleasure Island. I don't know. He's not the boy that like makes him like smoke cigars. Cause he likes he likes little David. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't really have a sure an, an analog. I forgot about the damn bear. Uh, that now that is some good CGI in that movie. That little bear. Shoot. Well, I think a lot of that bear is practical. Puppet yeah. is is a puppet. I think he should have been Oscar nomination for Gattaca. I think that he walks away with all of these scenes. How he says the line, "Keep your ashes on your lids where they belong." Keep your lashes on your lids where they belong. That oh, could have that could have been the Oscar clip right that- there. <laughs> That's gay. Oh, God. I don't even refer to your lashes. (laughs) That is some gay shit right there. Look at the... 
what in the hell did these makeup people do? His face in artificial intelligence yeah. is like, damn, Gina. We need to revisit artificial intelligence. I'm telling you, I like that it. That movie's long, and it's kind of a downer, though. It really is. It really is. <laughs> but there's some good there's some good parts to it. Uh, yeah. But uh, and not, not for nothing, uh, Jude Laws is... Is again great, great to look at. So you, so I asked you a question when um, we were finishing up Gattaca of what is Vincent going to do when he gets back, and right. you kind of said, "Well, I don't think he's going to be living all that long yeah. when he gets back." I'm not, so that was my assumption was that he does not. Plan very to, sad. He does not plan to live very long. He just wants his goal is to go to Titan. Whether he makes it back or not, I don't think he was kind of concerned with because that's what that's what he said to the brother i don't save anything for the trip back yeah all of this is to get there and to make it there and he steps on the rocket ship in his full business suit and the lights start swirling around him and that's it but the thing is it's is that eugene jude law is like well i saved up enough blood samples for you you can live another like lifetime you know with all the blood samples um once you get back but i'm like i don't know man his whole thing was his life expectancy was like mid 30s Mm -hmm. like jesus um jerome telling vincent uh no no i got the better end of the deal i lent you my body you lent me your dream uh, and also like jerome's story at the end of this movie is kind of a bummer when he when he crawls in that chamber i'm like i hope he took like a sedative or something because there's a better way to do that seems very sad there's a find a bridge i also love the uh one of the last lines of uh, Vincent, for someone who was never meant for this world, I must confess, as suddenly having a hard time leaving it. Of course, they say every atom in our bodies was once a part of a star. Maybe I'm not leaving. Maybe I'm going home. I think it's the last line <gasps> oh, of the movie. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's a, that's a good line. That's a good one. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the thing. I, I just always assumed his whole thing was, I'm going up there. And they never really specify, like... How long these trips are? What are they going to be doing? What do they do? What, what yeah. kind of space work are they going to be doing? In is it just space bu- suits? Space business work? Yeah, they're just like going to be know. doing some filing on yeah. like the moon of Jupiter or something. <laughs> no, the moon of Saturn. <laughs> excuse me, Saturn. Yeah, doing some taxes up there. Is um, um is Saturn your favorite planet? No, I like Jupiter. Saturn is very beautiful. I love the rings. And Jupiter is the biggest planet, yeah, correct? Yeah. And, and you can just storm. pass, and if you were like to step through it, you could go like all the way through it. Well, it's gas. Yeah. It's gas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what my favorite planet is. <laughs> it's not I Earth. Like, um, I think I like <laughs> Neptune. It's blue. It's blue. It's my favorite color. <laughs> yeah. Um, not Mars. There's there's Martians there. That's the that's the planet with all the. With with all the monsters on it, all the monsters on it. <laughs> um, yeah, Saturn's cool. I love I love rings, <laughs> but um, yeah. But that's the thing. I think Titan is like because Saturn and Jupiter are so big, their moons are like fucking gigantic too. And I think Titan is like really big. I think Titan's like the size of like Earth. It's like Earth. <laughs> wow. I think so. that's how big Saturn is. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty gigantic. It's uh, it said it's bigger than any, like it's bigger than Pluto. 
Mm-hmm. Like Pluto is like a planetoid. That's why it's not a planet anymore. I mean, isn't it pretty much just like a moon that's been kicked into the into the orbit of the kind of right? Well, the other thing too is that Pluto's so far out, and its uh, orbit around the sun is so big that in the time that it was discovered. To the time that it was demoted from planet to planet, it hadn't even made one it circle. It had not made one revolution around the sun. Oh, that's so it sad. It had not even done one year <laughs> in like Pluto Plutonian years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think that's the thing about uh, the the uh, the abundance of moons of Saturn and Jupiter is that they are varying in size, and some of them are very very big, um, and they're so far out that they can they can be. Uh, that big and yeah, not considered planets and all all that all that good stuff. But solar system's wild. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of space out there. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of space out there. You know, Gattaca came out the same year as Contact with Jodie Foster. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I like Contact. I have not watched Contact all the way through in a in a hot minute. We love Contact. I mean, you know, Zemeckis is a very uh, ambitious director. Same, same, same guy. He made Death Becomes Her and he made Contact. Mm-hmm. Come on, you better work. That's another hard sci-fi, hard science movie. Hard science movie, but I think that a lot of the interesting aspects for me are its religious aspect, sure. aspects, yeah, and just yeah. kind of the theme of faith in that movie. I think is really fascinating. Yeah. Well, they do a good job of introducing like the government and like, mm-hmm. you know. I don't think I don't think faith has anything to do with what's out there, but I think a lot of people have a very different <laughs> but just kind of where you're left with the Jodie Foster character yeah. at the end of that movie yeah. after she gets like she gets to talk to her dad, mm-hmm. uh kind of the aliens bring her to that little island the beach. and she has no way to prove it to people. Right. But she just has faith that it happened. Right. Okay. And that's, the that's, whole, and that's, that's kind of the theme and of that's faith. Dr. Ellie Arroway's yep. journey is that her journey with McConaughey is faith is something that you just know to be true and, but you can't prove it. And you're right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. That's the whole idea. Damn it. Matthew McConaughey. I hate like a I hate like a like a like a hot religious guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> what are you working out for? Um but yeah, uh that's interesting. The contact came out the same year as this movie. Because both very like different aspects of uh of sci-fi, different types of movies. Mm-hmm. I think Contact is a very epic in scope sci-fi movie where this this movie feels, movie feels very, very personal. Yeah, it feels very personal. Yeah. Feels very like I don't know. Could you could you do this as a as a stage production? Possibly. You know, um, I've always thought that there would be scenes of this movie that would be really good for acting classes. Yeah, especially between Jerome and Vincent. Yes, that I think that would be good like pieces to do a scene study for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I th- yeah, I think so too. Um, I hadn't thought of that before that, but, but I agree. Um, and now that I have this kind of idea in my head of the two of them is this like odd couple, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, live in kind of situation. 
I love that. I, 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 I just, yeah, I just love their, their scenes together. Um, I think that done. even the character of Irene just kind of seems like Vincent's beard. <laughs> just kind of this beautiful woman that he kind of takes a liking he's to. He's like, okay, if I'm going to fit in, I got to If go. I'm going to fit in and this, have this, this lady. Yeah. This lady. And, if, she's, and she's a good, yeah. She's a good match. And it's ninety and it's late nineties Uma. I mean, <laughs> one of the most beautiful woman women on planet Earth. Well, and here's another thing that I was thinking the entire time I'm watching this. I'm like, her features are crazy. Her eyes are too big, her forehead's too big, her nose has got this swoop. She kind of has a long face. But mm-hmm. But that's what Tyra will tell you. Because she's unusual looking. That yep. all these She's unique. All these imperfections in her yep. face make her so stunning then they just make her you look at her and you're just like compelled to look at her face um yeah and that's and that's just what makes her work as you know as this beautiful woman it's just everything that's wrong with her 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 features are so overblown um but yeah it's 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 really it's really quite something to i watch found on instagram earlier today it was makeup tests of uma thurman when she was playing Poison Ivy. Okay. And V. Neal is doing beauty makeup mm, on her. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the mug, the mug on Uma. <laughs> mug for days. Unclockable, <laughs> like that mug. She is walking face. Yes, yeah. And and yeah, that's the other thing. She does have these big exaggerated features and it's very smart that the makeup artists, uh, listeners, V. Neal is an Academy Award winning uh, movie makeup artist. Um, what did she win for? I think that she won for Beetlejuice yeah. and maybe Edward Scissorhands. I think and she worked a lot with Tim Burton. She works a lot with Tim Burton and Warner Brothers, and she did. She did stick around for for Batman and Robin, and she did. She designed this look for Uma, and, and our big thing, you know, the big the big gag is that Poison Ivy's. Is a drag character. Yeah. Like she just and they, is. And they give her drag makeup. They give her drag too. makeup. They give her Valentina eyebrows. Mm-hmm. They, <laughs> they block her eyebrows her, and draw them on top. Her like. Beautiful eyeshadow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so V Neil has a handful of Oscars. She has won for Beetlejuice, Ed Wood, and Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, work. Mrs. Yep. Doubtfire. Um, and uh the thing about Ed Wood is that you might not even think that there's a lot of interesting makeup going on in that movie, but they really dragged out uh, Martin Landau. Martin Landau. Yeah. Yeah. They changed kind his of a, face. A, a character transformation. Yeah. He talks about into it. Bella Lugosi. He was like, I don't yeah. look like Bella Lugosi. They made me look like him. <laughs> like what they did with his upper lip and like they gave him like the Reba lip where they like hid. You know, they hit his upper lip to make it, like, look longer. It's, like, crazy, all this stuff. But, yeah, the things that they can do. But, yeah, Uma goes very far back um, with somebody like with somebody like V. Neal. And uh, she just has a face that just lends itself to, like... I mean, she had to have started out... Was she a teen? She had to have been a teen model. I think that she was a teen model. I mean, she was model. in all of these period and costume movies in the 80s, like right. The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that Henry and June was a pretty big deal for her. She in Dangerous Liaisons? She's in Dangerous Liaisons. She plays the Cecile character. Well, Henry and June was a big deal because it was NC-17. Yeah, it has those sex scenes. I've actually have never seen Henry and June. Oh, it's so good. Uh, my sister uh, read 
um, on East Nin, and um, I read Henry Miller because every 13-year-old boy in the library checked out Tropic of Cancer because there's mad sex scenes <laughs> in that book. Uh, so, I, so I knew Henry Miller, and I read Tropic of Cancer and Tropic of Capricorn. Did not understand them worth a damn, but um, I, saw, I sought out Henry in June because I was familiar with Uma Thurman. I was like, oh, this is NC-17. And this was pre-Pulp Fiction, right? Yes. Yes. But you know who is Henry Miller in Henry in June? It's our pal from uh, uh, Big Business. Uh, Fred Ward? Fred Ward. Love Fred Ward. Yeah. Super Um, handsome. Very handsome, very hot, and he plays Henry Miller like, okay, this is this is my kind of daddy. But uh, yeah, Uma's in that. She plays his wife, June, but it's really about Henry Miller and, and Anais Nin, um, these two writers in the 20s, and just kind of their like, tumultuous love affair. His wife, June Miller, is, uh, you know, she's a character, and it's Uma Thurman, and when they put Uma Thurman in a, like a flapper like a smoky eye it's like bitch it works she like looks so period mm-hmm. it looks so cool um but yeah uma's just kind of like she's she's been in the business a long time she, yeah i think she was 19 in baron munchausen yeah um i think she was around 19 maybe 20 maybe 20 um and that movie's like 1989 or something um so yeah, she's she's been in the business almost as long as Ethan. These two have just kind of grown up in Hollywood. And um I don't know if they met on this movie, but it was around this time that yeah. they they got together. Got together as a couple and then they became this like Hollywood power couple and now they've got these these two kids. One of them We love Maya, Maya Hawk. Hawk is great. Love Maya Hawk. She's just so charming. She's so she's great on Stranger Things. She's Really funny in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Kind of not really a funny, like, concept of who her character is, but mm-hmm. I think she plays it really well. And uh, we are just fascinated by, I mean, obviously, it's, well, it's genetics. It's genetics. It's, it's genetics, g- baby. Genetics, baby. But it's one of those things where she it's has like, Uma's face. you look just like your mom and your dad. It's like, well, she has because they're my parents. She has Uma's face <laughs> and Uma's speaking voice, but I see her dad's eyes. Sure. Well, I see Uma's eyes. I see Ethan's eyes. I see Ethan's mouth. So it's this, it's this thing, right, where I look exactly like my dad, right? I just look like my dad. And it's like, okay, yeah, anytime I go and I hang out with my dad's family, it's like, oh, my God, you're your dad. I thought you were your dad, blah, blah, blah. Yes, granted. But all my life, all my life, every teacher I ever had told me that I looked exactly like my mom. And I was like, that's so weird. Interesting. So I always get a lot of like, oh, you look like your mom and your dad. You look like so much like both of them. And it's like, well... Yeah, they're my parents. I <laughs> probably parents. look the most like my dad, but I could see I could think I think I can see traits of my mom in my face. Mm-hmm. You uh you have grandpa Ben's eyes. Sure. My my we were, uh, we were in my Barnes, mom's your mom's, my mom's dad. dad. Your mom's dad. We were in Barnes and Noble one time and I was talking to your grandpa and he just did something and he made some face and I was like, Oh shit. I was like, oh shit, I know that face. Wow. That was weird. And it was just his eyes, just this little expression that he made. I don't even know what he was doing, but I was like, oh wow, that looks like that's Scott's 
face right there. Um, yeah. But you do look like your dad, though. So, yeah, that's, uh, but, the, but that's genetics for you. But, I mean, it's, it's this question of if we, and it's, you were watching a bit of uh, the special features. And, listeners, I'm here to tell you, if uh, you don't have a, a DVD or a Blu-ray of this movie and you can't watch the special features, don't worry. Because the entire IMDb trivia was pretty much someone watching this, like, little 15-minute documentary and making an entry for every line that, that happened because they talked about the marketing campaign. They talked about the marketing campaign that they put out a full-page ad in some newspaper magazine, which was an ad for Gattaca, and it was genetically engineering your children. Yeah. But they did it in a way that you didn't know it was advertising. Yeah. And they claim that people contacted them and that they wanted to participate mm-hmm. in uh you know kind of making a a super baby a test tube baby but it's like it's that thing it's like you know would people would people be into this if depending on how much money it costs would you you know design your baby and pick out but i think a lot of people would do it could you choose the sexuality of your child well that's it well yeah yep. And that's but, a whole other conversation, but too. Is, but this is a thing that celebrities, you know, that celebrities are doing. It's like a lot of a lot of younger celebrities, a lot of these um, maybe a little bit more body conscious celebrities, like some of the Kardashians, are... They're having a child through surrogate? Through, through surrogates. Yeah. yeah. They're just like, well, you know, I just can't be pregnant right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. If you have the means to do that, great. Um, I don't know. I'm sure that they have legitimate reasons that they put out there as to why that they went this route. But it is very interesting that it's always these celebrities with, you know, money is no object. That they're just like, yeah, I had a kid. Oh, wait, you weren't even pregnant. That's why most of them have twins. I assumed that Paris Hilton had her... I thought she was pregnant that whole time. Yeah. Nope. Surrogate. Surrogate. Paris Paris isn't getting pregnant. I don't think that they, in a lot of the like news, you know, celeb news, I don't think it was really kind of front and center that it was a surrogate. I literally thought until about, until those pictures came out with her baby, and her baby's very cute, but he got a big head, and people were saying he's got a big head, and she had to make the statement, and it was kind of sad. I was like, oh, poor Paris, that sucks. Because people were talking shit about her baby. <laughs> that his head was too big. Uh, but he's cute. I think he's cute. But in those articles where they were like, Paris had to come out and make this statement that everybody was being awful about her little baby, you know, and, she ju- and the baby was just born like six months ago, and it was all through surrogacy. And I was like, I did not even know that. I just, I don't know, I just assumed she had the baby. Hmm. Although, I mean, in Paris's case, okay. She's over 40, so that's her excuse, right? Yeah. I don't know. But it's it, we're getting to a place where it's a lot more common for people with the means to say, sure, well, let's if we're going to go in vitro, they're going to have multiples, you know, and they're always having twins and, you know, all this stuff. So I think we're getting closer to all that. Yeah. But, you know, it's always going to be a matter of... of having enough money to do it 
there's still going to be everybody else just doing it the old-fashioned way. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more fun anyway. So, Is there any last um, thoughts about Gattaca? Pete? Um, I love this movie. I'm glad that we finally got to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I am too. I'm glad that we watched it. I feel like we haven't watched it in a while or watched it all the way through at least. I have um, two framed photos of Ethan Hawke that are on our we do. table right now, <laughs> and they're stills from Gattaca. We do. We just It's just a fun little Shout out to um, Harper Thompson from the Hawkeyes podcast. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. We've both been on... Episodes of their show talking about Ethan Hawke. I was on for yeah. Great Expectations, and you did Valerian. I did City of a Thousand Valerian. Planets. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I go I go back a long way with Ethan Hawke. I've had a crush on him since I was seven years old. Um, I just always thought, you know, that he was just uh, a, just great. Just always, just like I said, I've had a crush on him since I was seven. You know, uh, he's just one of those. He's a, I'm a ride or die Ethan Hawke. You know, same. And um, and same with Uma. I just think she's amazing. I think she's oh, a great Uma. actress. I love everything that she's in. Um, we're all about red, white, and royal blue. <laughs> that cra- I mean, she does camp very well. The same year that she did Gattaca, she um, played Dr. Pamela Isley in Poison Ivy. Pamela Isley. Pamela? Yeah. And I mean, great intro for Jude Law into like American like pop culture. Like I mean, maybe this wasn't it for everybody, but for for me and you, I think it was and A so, Star is Born. Yeah, absolutely. So We're um, gonna be returning to a Jude Law movie later in the year too next month. All right, all right. But yeah, I mean it's a really fun movie. And um I'm I'm glad that we got to it and I think it really as far as a movie from a sci-fi movie from '97, a sci-fi movie from '97 that I think that you would think does this movie have the reputation of just kind of being wheeled in, yeah, in a biology classroom to watch Gattaca, right? But I mean, hey, if my teacher showed me this, I'd be like, sweet, what a cool movie. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you get like a sex scene in this movie too, which yes. is very exciting. You get some buns. You get some buns. Some Ethan buns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You get Jude's pretty face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's not to love? Yeah, listeners, uh, it may not be the easiest movie to come across. I'm sure it's just on streaming just for rent and purchase everywhere. But uh, I think it's definitely worth uh, worth a watch if you haven't seen it in a long time or at all. But uh, yeah, check it out. It's, um, it's a lot of fun. Glad we watched it. But yeah, we should probably, probably, probably uh, wrap up. Get this show on the road. But um, before we go, I think uh, we should. Uh, what should we do? Patreon shoutouts. <laughs> Let's hear them. Shoutouts. We want to give a great big thank you and hello to all of our wonderful patrons. There's a lot of you out there, including our friends Tammy, Roberto, Brett, Trent, Daisy, Kelly, Chrissy, Stephen, Jake, Desiree, Laura, Thomas, Lori, Brenna, Lawrence. Lisa, Alexis, Thomas, Millie, Ted, Benny, Jamel, Melanie, Susan, JJ, Shelby, uh, another Jamie, Drew, Genevieve, Dawn, Joshua, Emma, Millie, Aaron, Nick, and Shannon, Christine, and uh, Rufino. You guys, thank you for being. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for being patrons. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of really fun additional content over on our Patreon. We are starting a new series of uh, reviewing TV shows that had a great big impact on us. Uh, we have two in the can right now. We're going to be coming out with a lot more as uh, time goes on. So head over to patreon.com slash movies and escape for that. There's also a 
Rudy watching his commentaries. We pick a movie, we record a commentary track as the movie is playing. We uh, comment on it and we give you instructions on how to sync up your copy of the movie. So if it's on Netflix or what have you, give instructions on how to press play on the movie on your television or laptop and then press play on the podcast on your phone or whatever. Listen to them at the same time. And it's really cool the way they sync up. You can also just listen to the, copy, the uh, track as a bonus episode and it works just as well. That's a lot of fun. It's over on Patreon.com slash Movies That Made Us Gay. And all of your donations go directly to keeping the show up and running on mm-hmm. the air every week ad-free for your listening pleasure. Uh, although, now that we're heading into November, just be mindful we will be taking a break the holidays, as we do every year, but that's coming weeks ago. But, uh, yeah, check out uh, Patreon. Lots of cool stuff. But we'd also like it Give us five stars. We would love to read some kind words from all of the listeners. Yes, indeed. If you are a listener on Spotify or an Apple Podcast, there's a five-star rating that you can give to us. Just smash that five stars all the way over to the right, and that really uh, helps us out. And uh, if you're an Apple Podcast listener, if you have an iPhone Apple Podcast comes pre-installed. Just open up the app, search movies that made us gay, give us a five-star rating, and then write us a cute little review telling us how much you love us. We'll read it on the air. And yeah, we'll read it on uh, uh, an upcoming episode. We love when we get those. Um, follow us on socials. We're most active on Instagram. We're at movies that made us gay on Instagram. And any, you know, likes, comments, uh, reposts, sharing, all that stuff really helps get the word out and... Uh, Get the show some recognition. We are almost at 3,000 Instagram followers. I mean, you guys, 3,000 Instagram followers. That's crazy. Um, but spread the word, and hopefully we'll get some more. But, yeah, follow us on Instagram. We're active on that the most, but we're still on Twitter, X. We're on X, Threads, Blue Sky. At mm-hmm. Pod on all those. But, uh, yeah, Instagram, we're the most active. If you want to follow our personals, feel free. My name is Pete. I'm at Peter Lasagna on Instagram and uh, Threads and X. Scott Youngballer on Instagram and follow my letterbox. Yes, indeed. And whatever Scott's watching on Letterboxd, I'm pretty much watching it right next to him. So uh, he writes the reviews and um, follow him on there. They're funny reviews. Check us out. But uh, until next week, everybody, we'll see you very, very soon. Happy November. Bye.